It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That pretty starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself, the world with its own needs. Loving to your own head, beat it up, and I've seen got no seats. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, the fire, the gangs, and the government for hire in the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, leave the jury beat it down your neck. Let's see the border trap and jump, get the ground, look at that low plane, find them. Up for overflow, find the next corner, keep putting a leaf, see the devil, save the devil, world, get your own knees, see your heart, tell me the surrender in the river with the right. You patriotic, patriotic, plan might right, might feel it, it's pretty sight. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. And Bloom! <laughs> hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, an interesting interval of intellect in an unintelligent world. <laughs> Boy, that was pretty good. Um, hey, I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over close to 800, just about 800, no, actually 802. Wow, <gasps> really? posts. Yep, we passed 800. Amazing. Posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And the hostess with the mostest, we are the watchers on the wall. Yes, we are. <laughs> hey, that's starting again tonight. Yes, that's right. That's right. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Folks. She's Game a big of Game of Thrones fan. And we watch it all for you to find that silver lining and all those scary storm clouds on the horizon. I would like to say winter winter is coming, which is from oh, uh, Games no. of Thrones, but it is not. Winter is gone. That's it's right. It's come and gone. That's right. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a persnickety possum? Well, our attorney says, don't call me. Call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only. And do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the host and listeners. Dr. Bones and R. Sammy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, but in this time of active shooters, terrorist attacks, all sorts of crazy Crazy stuff. You Crazy. better have that really. You better have some medical knowledge under your belt if you expect to handle some of the emergencies that you could possibly face in times of trouble. But never fear, we are here and we're not just here for the beer. <laughs> we're not. What do you think of that? Nope. All we're right. here for the the food, the barbecue, <laughs> the movies. <laughs> Anything but. Right? Hey, do you have some nuggets of knowledge in that noggin of yours that you want us to know? That's a lot of ends. <laughs> of course you do. So out with it. We learn as much from you as you do from us. That should be obvious. So get in touch with us. It's easy. And here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. Absolutely. You can contact us by email. 
at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on our Facebook group at Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We have a couple of Facebook pages, Doom and Bloom and Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy Show. You can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel at Dr. Bones Nurse Amy. And our video cast with the nice folks at AroundTheCabin.com on the first and third Wednesdays of every month. Plus, we have a new show, American Survival Radio, in association with Genesis Communications Network. And we talk about all the news that affects, well, America's survival. Right. Not so much a medical show, though we do talk about medical topics, but mm-hmm. more current events, I'd guess. Absolutely. I, I would say that sums it right up. Plus, this podcast, not only on our channel, but on the great networks like Prepper Broadcasting Network, USA, Emergency Broadcasting Network, Survival Central, Shaking Wake, and apparently a lot of others. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot, but it's not all. Just make sure that you go to our website at doomandbloom.net. It's got everything you need to succeed. Even if everything else fails, don't forget our three-category Amazon bestseller, The Survival Medicine Handbook. Check out our articles in leading magazines like American Survival Guide, Survival Quarterly, Backwoods Home, Prepare, Survivalist. Woo! <laughs> Another I, long list. Man, I cannot. Well, we're doing too <laughs> much stuff. Good. Well, we're we doing are. way too much stuff. We really stuff. are. We need a vacation, honey. What or do you think? something. Or something. Let's go to Gatlinburg. Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Indeed, we are going to be up in that area, and we'll talk about that just a little later. Now, you'll hear them from a mile away. This spring, billions of cicadas are going to come up from underground, creating a symphony the East Coast hasn't heard since 1999. Now, that's funny because I thought I talked about this a few years ago. Well, I guess it's been a few years, huh? It has not been since 1999. 1999, You know what? There must be different sections that come up. Indeed, you're right. The cicadas are, uh, by the way, if you don't know, cicadas are these large, clunky-looking insects. They have translucent wings. They have big, wide-set eyes. And they divide up into different broods, just like you said, mm-hmm. uh, or year classes, based on when they emerge. Now, there are about 12 broods of cicadas in total. And while some broods come to the surface every 13 years, other ones come every 17 years. You think of it as a high school reunion <laughs> instead of every 10 years, they're doing it every 17 years, let's say. <laughs> well, anyhow, these rambunctious bugs mm-hmm. get together on a regular basis and in rare cases, as a matter of fact, every 221 years, the 13-year and the 17-year cicadas all get together. They all emerge as one, twice the fun. Oh. And it must seem like a biblical plague of locusts, I'll bet I you. I cannot if imagine. If something like that happens, I have no idea when the next one of those is going to happen. But these particular cicadas, like I said, are brood number five. Mm-hmm. And they spend the first 17 years of their lives underground. They're feeding on plant roots and things like that. And over the next few weeks, they finally emerge. And they must have the longest lifespan i would think of any insect right Bugs. 17 years well wow. it's a long time now scientists think these super long hibernations might be sort of a tool that the bugs develop to avoid predators by coming out all at once they flood the market with cicada meat and birds and other predators they can't possibly eat all of them yeah they can't make a dent in the population sure, it makes perfect sense now after spending their first week above ground is juveniles or or nymphs dragonflies also when they're juveniles they call nymphs the cicadas will grow into adults and they slip out of their exoskeleton and find a mate and that telltale that telltale roar 
of clicks that you hear. That's their mating call. Now, how do these critters produce a chorus like that? It sounds like a thousand rattlesnakes. I mean, it's, it's incredible. By rapidly vibrating an organ called a timbal or their timbals. Not cymbals, although those are loud too. Timbals. Uh -huh. Now, timbals are membranes in the cicada's belly, and when a male cicada vibrates its timbals, it reverberates through a, a hollow area in its belly, like it's a microphone or a uh -huh. megaphone. It amplifies the noise so that the vibrations are broadcast throughout the entire neighborhood. That's why they're so loud. Right. If the female cicada likes what she hears, she responds by snapping her wings, which is an invitation for the males to get closer and... Voila, love and bloom. <laughs> Unfortunately, this love story ends very sadly. Two to four weeks after emerging, the male dies, leaving the female alone to lay hundreds of eggs. Six weeks later, the eggs hatch, giving birth to the next generation of nymphs, and they promptly burrow back underground. And the end of the Song of the Cicada occurs for at least another 17 years. So what does this all mean to you? Very interesting, but... What does it mean for, to you? Well, in most areas, it's going to mean uh, a lot of fat birds and some <laughs> bug mess in your yard and your gutters and occasionally, uh, I guess... Or their exoskeletons. And occasionally a bug in the eye. These guys aren't very good flyers. But technically, cicadas don't bite or sting. They don't have jaws like a wasp uh -huh. or an ant. They uh, don't have stingers like bees or wasps. They do, however, have mouth parts that pierce and suck. It sounds like a mosquito, right? They mm -hmm. might even want to try or they might try to pierce and suck you but don't worry they aren't vampire mosquitoes and they're not really malicious they're just dumb they think you're a tree <laughs> they suck on trees is what they do as a matter of fact sucking your blood would probably would kill them because it's too thick for them to handle compared to most tree saps saps where now, i was gonna say they probably were looking to get a taste of sap right that would be quite the little surprise so just flick that cicada off go about your business just don't hold them in your fist cicadas have pointy feet and other sharp parts that might feel like a bite even though it's not so there you have it that's biology lesson for today oh you know what you hear us talking about our book, The Survival Medicine Handbook, but you might know that we wrote a New York Times, you might know that we wrote a New York Times bestseller in health about the Ebola virus way back in 2014 when that was news. And this time we have put out a book on the Zika virus. Now the Zika virus is in the news and especially as warm weather comes, we can certainly expect to see some issues with that. Warm weather is on the way. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention state that we can expect more cases of Zika virus in the United States this summer. Indeed, the mosquito that transmits the virus, called the Aedes mosquito, Aedes is Greek for unpleasant, I'll say, has expanded its range to include 30 different U.S. states. That's up from 12 in the last survey. So, wow, it is, for some reason, spreading exponentially. As a matter of fact, it's found as far north as New York. You may wonder how it survives winters, but I think that it just goes into the subway system, the underground system. I guess that has some heating, and it apparently is, can survive. The eggs, I know, can survive up to a year in the right circumstances. So, there are continuing breeding populations of mosquitoes, as far as New York, apparently. Now, until now, Zika cases have all been traced to those who have been tra who have traveled to the epi epidemic zone in South and Central America. 
So it's been carried here through a human being at this point. Yes, yes. So basically the humans are, are passing it, but they're not passing it human to human, except in the case of sexual transmission. Which you, is very interesting, I find. And I think they probably would be able to do that through blood transfusions, too. I think that would work, too. I don't just don't think there have been many that have occurred that way. Mm-hmm. So... That is a big issue. So it can be passed from human to human, but not in the... Only sexually. Right. Not by coughing or sneezing or even being close to somebody. Right. They have no evidence of that at the present time. So mostly it's transmitted, therefore, by mosquitoes. Mosquitoes bite the blood of someone who has the Zika virus. Mm -hmm. They go bite somebody else and give that person the Zika virus. So... And that... Let's just repeat that one more time. Because I, I think a lot of people are missing that exact point. A mosquito bites someone who has Zika, okay? And they they might have traveled from a Zika virus area to the United States. Let's say they're in South Florida. That might be a common scenario. Now, they get bit by this particular mosquito. Right. Thaetis mosquito. And then that mosquito flies next door and bites somebody else. Now, they have transmitted the Zika virus into that person. Whether they get sick or not, they don't know why some people get sicker. Some people don't show any symptoms at all. Some right. people show mild symptoms. But that's how it's transmitted. Or the person who traveled a male from the Zika virus area who got Zika from a mosquito now ha- may have it in their sperm. And then they can have sexual contact with one or more people here in the United States and spread it that way. So those are the two ways that you can get it. Right, exactly. In, in any case, you, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention are predicting there will be locally transmitted clusters of Zika cases in various areas in the U.S., especially warm weather states like Texas and Florida, <clears throat> and it may be an issue. Now, they're stopped short of predicting that it's going to be a terrible pandemic or anything like that. Right. And so we just have to keep a close eye on it. And we do. We keep a close eye, you and I, on Absolutely. epidemic diseases, pandemic diseases. And it looks like Zika virus is one to watch out for this year. So we decided to research everything that the average person really should know about it. How to identify it, how to prevent it, mm-hmm. what the treatment options are, all sorts of stuff. And, you know, I was an obstetrician in the early part of my medical career. And so I'm pretty interested in the disease that can affect, sometimes disastrously, uh, newborn infants. Now, it does more than that. Zika virus does more than that. It it has been associated with all sorts of nervous system disorders like Guillain-Barre. Right, and they're finding more and more problems with neurological issues with adults. They've done tests with the Zika virus in lab studies can it seems to have a a particular predilection to damage nerve cells nerve cells include brain cells it includes cells in your spinal cord and so cells that cause paralysis cells that cause damage to the brain for example or failure very, of development these are very scary cells to be damaged and especially I, I think of all the cells that you want or or not that you want but that could be damaged in your body that's probably one of the worst. I think... Ab- I mean, absolutely. I'd rather, you know, g- give me a foot problem, give me a leg problem, a hand problem. Now they're beginning to see a few cases in which there bl- is blindness in some of these newborns and other sorts. It's it's a whole 
bunch of stuff that can occur. It's not just that the head might be a little right. bit smaller. Microcephaly, that's the most well-known complication of so this. So they're adding newborns. to the list of, of things, right? Of things. They're starting to look back and say, well, you know what? We saw an increased incidence of, let's say, blindness. And do we think this was related to the Zika virus? And, you know, they may end up adding more and more things to this list. They just didn't put those puzzle pieces together. Right. And they didn't think originally that this virus, which really in most other areas where it occurs, seems to not do that much damage to the population. In Africa. I mean, it's relatively it's mi it's mild in Africa and some parts of Asia. Right. 80% uh, of people don't seem to even have symptoms. And so this is a big surprise that went across the Atlantic and decided to cause more issues. But even though there are other theories and even though that there are other other things that we have to learn about it right they they're really finding more and more each day more evidence that the zika virus is the cause of this issue and so we have decided to put it all down on paper and we call the book the zika virus handbook and so this is very similar to our 2014 book on ebola virus less political stuff i did mention i was sort of pissed off at our <laughs> response uh, or angry i'm sorry at our response to the ebola they ebola virus slow uh, yeah. to even pay right. attention and they're doing a better job here i believe they're paying a lot more attention to zika yeah. well i think you know once once burned twice shy as they say yeah i mean it's i mean i think they've asked for 1.9 billion dollars right but even now for research and education and to develop a, a virus right or, but excuse e me, right develop a vaccine vaccine right politics though is infecting the zika virus debate mm. that debate and that the government or the presidential administration has put together a plan but the plan the republicans uh, the congress says mm -hmm. is only an outline it doesn't really go into detail as to where 1.9 billion dollars which is a request is going to go whereas the administration says sure it does it says it right there and so i have no idea i haven't looked at the paperwork on these things but sure enough it is infecting the debate with regards to zika virus funding but it is going to be something that I think they're going to get together on and they have to do something and they have money left over from Ebola right that they're using I did see the the guy who has requested the money who have put together this outline I saw an, an interview with him don't ask me what his name was because I don't remember but that was brought up to him that the administration says hey we don't know where you want to spend all this money and we're not going to give it to you and he explained it to us and and he actually laid it out in pretty good details for a you know 10 minute interview and he said they have any questions i am very happy to go explain exactly where this money is going to be spent i have it completely planned out and laid out and i will let them know so hopefully we'll actually be on the ball this time around with that this particular great. virus and that would be terrific and so what we've done is we put together a book called the Zika Virus Handbook. And like all the books that we write, we, it's all in plain English. 
and it has everything that you need to know about this infection and how to identify it, how to treat it, or uh, the treatment avail options that are available at least, how to deal with prevention, how to that's Let's a say big control thing. mosquito population. Understanding how it's transmitted and being able to prevent it and also being able to reduce the population of mosquitoes in your area. So anyhow, we put everything together in no-nonsense, calm, concise fashion. The book's about 138 pages. It's not like our survival medicine handbook, which is a big, giant reference <laughs> book, but it does give you everything that you do need to know about the Zika virus. And all this from a physician, me, that has decades of experience as an obstetrician whose mission is to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster. As a matter of fact, it's the only book on Zika, at least as far as I know, written by a physician at all. And especially yes, it one is. and especially one that spent his life caring for pregnancies and who's well known in the field at least of disaster and epidemic medical preparedness. Mm -hmm. Now the book also outlines other pandemic diseases. So if you'd like to know about other pandemic diseases, past and present, it is a great book for that. It discusses ways on how to control the Aedes mosquitoes, various methods of mosquito control, like many pandemic diseases. There are a lot of controversial theories that you might hear around how Zika developed or whether Zika indeed is the cause of all this newborn problem or all these neurological issues at all and so we even go through those and we talk about them in detail and we talk about the degree of plausibility that these particular theories might have now the main thing to know is that there's really no need to panic about zika virus the cdc itself stops short of predicting an epidemic mm -hmm. but it has affected 64 countries so far so it only makes sense to learn about any disease that could have a possibility of heading into your neighborhood and affecting your family's health. You can find the book, The Zika Virus Handbook, over at Amazon.com. You've been listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Hey, Joe Alton, MD of store.doomandbloom.net here. And I'm nurse practitioner Amy Alton, and we're here to get you medically prepared. A lot can happen in the uncertain future, natural disasters, epidemics, terror events, but we're here with medical kits and supplies that will help make you a medical asset in times of trouble. From first aid kits for the trail to complete family medical survival kits, we've got an entire line to help you deal with injuries and illnesses in any scenario. Compare our kits to others and you'll agree that only our kits are assembled to work best when help is not on the way. So get a quality kit from a doctor and nurse practitioner and not some mass-produced knockoff. Often imitated, never equaled. That's store.doomandbloom.net, store.doomandbloom.net. And hey, get the essential guide for when medical help is not on the way, the Survival Medicine Handbook, third edition. Find it and the all-you-need-to-know Zika Virus Handbook on Amazon.com. And we're back. You're listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with the amazing Amy Alton, <laughs> ARMP, the wonderful, the most incredible person in the world, and some old guy that hangs around with her. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, you know what? Since we started writing about medical preparedness, the natural and man-made disasters that humanity's had to deal with, man, they have been too numerous to count. I would easily count probably 20 or 30 floods tornadoes probably 100 tornadoes hurricanes 
heat waves, blizzards, nuclear meltdowns. Did you mention earthquakes? Earthquakes, or... tidal waves. <laughs> That's a big wow, thing I'm, recently. I know, huh? And the floods. Of Houston just had a flood Flood, recently. right? We just heard from our good friend Todd Sepulveda of uh, Prepper, Top Prepper websites. And boy, oh boy, what a mess, huh? It is really something. There are all sorts of other events that have caused major damage, loss of life even, that we have had to deal with. And put on top of that, we've had a lot of terrorist attacks and active shooter events that have become, seem to become more commonplace really just about every day. I mean, just recently there were eight people apparently related to each other that were in four different homes that were killed execution style. And it's terrible. Yeah, it's horrible. So anyhow, international tensions, those are something that we haven't even talked about. I mean, there are a. I know you were bunch. just you were just talking domestically right now. Now we're internationally. It's everywhere. It wouldn't surprise me if we have some kind of major <clears throat> confrontation in the future. North Korea, Russia, China—they all have an axe to grind with regards to the United States. So we had better have a pretty sharp axe on our own. What's it going to take for us to stop North Korea? I mean, what's the deal? Where's that 007 dude we need? I know. Well, I mean, we the just guy's need... sending off missiles from submarines. Yeah, we, think... and we have troops in Japan. Yeah, they're now saying this can reach Japan. Well, we have troops in. Uh, I don't know if we have troops. Do we have? We probably do have troops in Japan, but I, I don't know. I that mean, for not a fact. like a lot. I but... know that we have thirty thousand troops in South Korea, which is a lot closer. Well, yeah. to North Korea than Japan. Yeah, but but this dude really, really wants to target America. Like, it's his obsession. As much as he likes us, like, he, I think he likes video games and basketball. Didn't, there was a mm-hmm. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Did he no, 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 no. It was uh, Dennis Rodman. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> Dennis Rodman. Oh, yes. Some tall the guy. The freakazoid. <laughs> no, very no, tall guy. No, no. He's the freakazoid, actually. <clears throat> um, the guy's obsessed with American culture and hollywood and all of our things you don't know this that he recently put together a top chef reality show (laughs) and he is actually the top chef no (laughs) no he's i thought you were gonna tell me he's the top judge Uh, yeah no he's he's, (laughs) well i think so they all have to lose to him i read that he's the top so that is hilarious and and yet he wants to destroy us yes so what What's the deal? Love hate. This is a, a there's a love hate relationship. This is extremes to the <laughs> furthest end of love and hate at the same time. So anyhow, gosh, it's just hard to witness. He's a wackadoodle. Oh, is yeah. what I'm trying to say. And you're absolutely right. Oh God. It's just hard to witness all these events, whether it's international events or man-made disasters or shooter events, things like that, without having a sort of a vague sense of what's going to happen next. You know. Uh, a vague sense of dread, right? Mm-hmm. And at least I can. Now, so regardless of your political beliefs, somewhere in the back of your mind, you gotta know that things are just not the same as they were when you were a kid. I don't think. Wait, I don't think anything that you mention on any of these lists are political. Like anyone could think of it in a different way. Like an earthquake is what it is. People being murdered is what it is. North Korea being out of their mind is what it is. The turmoil that's in the Middle East, it is what it is. I, I don't think being a Republican or being a Democrat or being a Libertarian or whatever it is you want to term yourself gives you a different view on these events that are happening. 
I can't imagine that it would. You're right. I think everybody would think the same way, whether they're on one end no of matter the political what, spectrum no or, matter or, what. or the other. Right. Exactly. So <clears throat> we have to take a look and we have to make sure that we're aware of extreme weather events, that whether there are open declarations of hostility in the world towards Americans, towards Christians, and these violent acts that are almost everywhere. You know what I'm going to start saying? You know what? Get in the back of the line. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, it's we've not... got a long we got a long list of people we got to deal with. Just right. get in the back of the line. Well, it's not always people that Jeez. are are some organized group that trying that are trying to do damage to us. Sometimes we're just some guy that's <clears throat> deranged or some guy that's disgruntled or you know unhinged in some way mm-hmm. and causing a big issue with. Um, with a shooting or, or other kind of event. Mm-hmm. So despite our current predicament, you would think that people who are prepared for these kinds of events would be admired by the general population. Of However, course, having extra water and food mm-hmm. or you know, being prepared for any getting of out of a house when mm-hmm. there's a fire. I mean, just being ready for any of these things that happen would be commended. Yet, Uh-oh. those who actually do prepare for the consequences of all these crazy events are looked upon with amusement, suspicion, and all sorts of other stuff by the general population. The general population, John Q. Public, basically associates them with reality show contestants, uh, those people that dress in camouflage, live in bunkers. In other words, not normal, right? Not quite normal at all. But recent events suggest there is indeed a new normal. And what is the new normal? To determine this, let's define normal. I've done, I've done this exercise before, but not for a couple of years. So, mm-hmm. so humor me on this one. I'm if, if you've been you. listening for a long time. <laughs> let's say that you see a question on a job application, or maybe a guy with a press badge and a microphone comes up to interview you, and the question is, "Excuse me, sir or madam, may I ask you a question? Uh-huh. Are you?" Normal? Aha. Are you normal? Seems like a simple question, right? Yes. Heck yeah. Who believes they're not normal, right? Now, you'd probably give this guy with the mic, you'd give him a weird look and <laughs> walk walk away from him. But the truth of the matter is, is, the question is actually not as simple as you might think. Now, what exactly is a normal person? Well, the word normal has several definitions, but let's focus on two of them particular Mm -hmm. one definition of normal is standard average or conforming to the group Mm -hmm. and the another one could be uh defined as sane or a sane approach so normal people have certain characteristics that match those two definitions you agree that normal folks need a level of organization in their life they don't want a lot of clutter so they make sure to keep no more than three days of supply of food in the pantry They wait until the gas tank is nearly empty to refill it. They have no medical supplies, goodness knows, other than maybe a few Band-Aids or some aspirin or Tylenol. Cream. In the medicine cabinet. Yep, (laughs) some cream. Some whipped cream? What kind of cream? No, 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 no. Triple antibiotic. Oh, triple antibiotic. (laughs) Neosporin. All right. Now, when there's a crisis, whether it's a national crisis or a personal crisis like losing a job, these people see... A little bump on the road, but they stumble over that bump, mm-hmm. but they just pick themselves up, 
They brush the dirt off and they just continue on their way as if nothing else had happened. Now, normal folk like this, like these folks, mm -hmm. don't feel that there are lessons to be learned by current events. A major storm is just a news story or a chance to play some board games with the kids. A terrorist attack elicits a response only if it's close to home. And sometimes not even then. So it's amazing how oblivious the general public really is. So despite these risks involved, and, and there are these risks for almost any community, there ain't no action taken by these folks. And this is because normal people depend on others to resolve all their problems. They pay taxes, so they believe the government will step in, give them a helping hand whenever they need it. The support could be in the form of food stamps, let's mm -hmm. say. Uh, it could be the swift emergency response and natural calamities, intervention in areas of civil unrest. And most people believe wholeheartedly that help will always be on the way. Now, the greater the role of government in daily life, the more the population depends on it. The more the government entitles people to various services and things like that, the more likely that people are going to be absolutely dependent on it and not think of self-reliance at all. And given the definitions of normal we mentioned before, this normal attitude is certainly standard and conforms to the group, but is it really sane? That's my question. Let's take the case of essential personnel for a municipality. This would include uh, police officers, firefighters, emergency medical techs, these are the emergency responders that normal folks expect that will help them out in a crisis, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. But what would really happen in this type of thing? Now, this is not my opinion. This is actually a result of surveys that were taken in several police precincts uh, of several cities, fire stations, uh, emergency rooms, and many public servants that we depend upon actually say that they won't report for duty in the case of a truly serious catastrophe. Let's say something on the level of Hurricane Katrina. The same goes for many doctors, nurses, paramedics, essential medical personnel. And to the normal person, this is unthinkable. However, think about it. The professionals that we count upon to rescue us in times of trouble, they have wives, they have husbands, right. they have parents, a they home, have children. Right, a community they might need to take care of, a neighborhood that might rely on them. Absolutely. So who do you think they'll rush to protect in a horrendous emergency? You or their own families? I mean, this is... Just a, this is not to say anything negative about them. No, absolutely I mean, not. I think they're doing the right thing. This is just a simple fact of life. It's not a criticism of the brave men and women who keep us safe in normal times. Right. But times aren't always guaranteed to be normal. So in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, the New Orleans Police Department surveyed those law enforcement officers who didn't report to duty. And some, indeed, were involved in the catastrophe or had some damage and things like that. But most cite their families as a reason for their absence. So to expect them to leave their loved ones, their wives, husbands, all that, and go help you, a total stranger, that might be a normal expectation of some people in our society. But boy, it sure isn't sane. So how do normal people become sane people? By realizing a society can be fragile. There are events that may occur to send the world into whole sorts of disarray. 
Now, once things happen to knock us off kilter, a downward spiral, it could be slower, it could be fast, we're gonna, is going to make life difficult. You might think we're circling the drain right now, as a matter of fact. It's cer certainly, if you listen to our show, you wouldn't be, you might just be of that opinion. Certainly, this situation is going to be a challenge for everyone. Okay, let's, let's face it. But it's going to be less so for those people who actually prepare beforehand for disasters and unrest, right? You might have heard of this small minority. They're known as preppers or the preparedness community. And I'm not talking about the extreme version you see on reality shows. I'm talking about people who quietly stockpile food and supplies for use in times of trouble. It might be a major disaster. It might just be losing a job. Disasters can be national. They could be personal. Now, these guys aren't everywhere. They're actually, or they might be hidden everywhere. But the truth of the matter is they're pretty few and far between, comprising, well, maybe maybe 3% of the population. Yet they will be the vanguard of a movement to survive if a collapse occurs. So what types of events could cause a collapse to happen? Well, various scenarios that we've talked about mm -hmm. include flu pandemics, terrorist attacks, solar flares, economic collapse. They're just some of the possible calamities that could befall a community, a region, or even a country. Maybe having a bad next president. <laughs> yeah, well. Whomever you think that may be, folks. <laughs> absolutely. That, that could be your And your own opinion. <laughs> That's right. Now, the likelihood of one of these life-changing occurrences could be very, very small. But what is the chance that you or your children will never be affected by one of these events over the course of a lifetime? Not so small. The truth of the matter is, is that the longer you live, the more likely you're going to experience something. And if you put it multi-generationally, uh, your children's lifetimes, your grandchildren's mm -hmm. lifetimes, people you might care about, you might think that it's a reasonable thing to become prepared and instill that kind of culture into your family over the generations. So I think that this is very, very important. Now, the preparedness community, our folk understand that there could be storm clouds on the horizon. I mean, they're not like an oblivious bunch of morons. <laughs> Just, no, just an opinion. Absolutely not. Just an, opi uh, just Very an opinion. Very smart people. We, mm. we meet them every single time we go to these events. That's right. Our preparedness events. We right. meet awesome people. Now they face, <clears throat> they do face perilous circumstances just like everybody else, but they face it with not disbelief, but with action. That's right. And so therefore, I argue that these are the people that are the normal ones. Even th though they might not conform to the group, they're a lot more sane than their fellow citizens. Yep. So instead of facing an uncertain future with fear and desperation, use the opportunity to learn new skills that might get you through a catastrophe. Medical skills especially are my favorite. <laughs> but many of Mine these... Mine too, as and, a matter of fact. Amazing. We should get together. <laughs> I know. And many of these were just common knowledge to their ancestors. They knew how to, what plants in the area might have a medicinal benefit. They knew how to grow, grow food. Yep. All this stuff has just been lost somewhere in the river of time for the grand majority of our population. Because like you said, That's not good. they have been handed all of this stuff. Where it, Life has become so easy. You know, it, it's very interesting that you're talking about this today because we were watching last night 
on probably the History Channel, um, especially on the Vikings. And oh, yeah. And how they, they were the first people in North America. I mean, they've already yes. they've already found one settlement in Canada. Oh yeah, guaranteed, absolutely carbon dated. It's it was a Viking settlement. Sorry, That's it. sorry, it's Christopher there. Columbus. Yes, <laughs> right, and and all of the things that those people had to go through. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of years before Christopher Columbus. What they were sailing in those boats were so small. Oh, wow. This scary as hell. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine how many of those uh, collapsed and capsized right. and fell apart during storms? But they were survivors. My goodness, what they went through. And you look at people today, and if you had a time machine and you just took a random amount of 100 people and threw them back then, how long do you think they'd last? A couple couple days maybe zip, zip dee 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 <clears throat> is what they'd last at the most really <laughs> they would the harshest the the weather alone where these people came from the vikings was so cold and so harsh right um, in good in good years in good times <laughs> yes and then they had to go find food and and build their shelters just unbelievable and they had times when they lived in uh, it's a Greenland, I believe. Right. That they couldn't garden because of the weather for a couple of years. They couldn't grow any food. So they were strictly reliant upon the sea. And that didn't work out so well. And yeah. that was their undoing after 500 years. One thing about Greenland and Iceland. I know. It's the, it's Iceland, so uh, when it was originally colonized was very very green right and and fertile so, and so many vikings wanted to go live there that it got crowded apparently and they went and so other vikings traveled even further west they hit greenland which was basically a big giant ice sheet 80 percent of the place was covered with ice but in order to entice the other vikings to come they to decided to call there. it greenland right which <laughs> There's not a heck of a lot of green there. Right. So <laughs> There is a little bit, though, which there is, is a interesting. There is a little bit along the coastal along areas. The coast. All right. Well, anyhow, <laughs> what I was talking about is by learning things that are useful for off-the-grid situations, people can increase the likelihood that they'll succeed mm -hmm. or and their loved ones will succeed if, God forbid, something fails, if everything fails. If there's a calamity... They'll be prepared for the worst, even while they're hoping for the best. Some documentaries have, have portrayed the preparedness community as paranoid. Portrayed as paranoid. You can see them on... I think someone's looking through the window, I honey. I know, I know. Quick, close, I know. close the window. <laughs> Around here, it actually could happen. You can, <laughs> you can see these folks on, on various media. They're all clad in camouflage. They actually have ghillie suits on, some of them. They're armed to the teeth. They're hunkered oh, down in some bunker. And boy, oh boy. I mean, <laughs> why sensationalize this so much Ugh. that no one will ever want to be prepared for a disaster? So this is ridiculous. For the grand majority of people that are prepared, this couldn't be farther from the truth. People that are self-reliant aren't eagerly awaiting 
some terrible thing to happen. No. They want no. this is what they want to do. Their goal is to die at the age of 100 and with their great-grandchildren whispering in their ear, "Hey, Gramps, what are we going to do with all this stuff?" That's true. Absolutely don't want to have to use any of it. It's it's absolutely true. I mean, basically we just view our preparations that we make as insurance. You know, we buy health insurance, but we don't want to get sick. Mm-hmm. We buy life insurance. We don't want to die. Nope. Certainly. <laughs> no. And being prepared is just insurance as well. Instead of paying money for something that isn't tangible, you're a document, a piece of paper. I mean, you're buying food, medical supplies, other things that would ensure that you and your loved ones will do well in situations where that paper won't help you. And not only you and your loved ones, but your neighbors and your community. A lot of people have told me that they have churches that have put together plans that are not only to just take care of the people who might live next door to the church, but to be a community resource. Right. So are they crazy? To be like no, the village center. Not, exactly. To help each other, to have learning resources and supply resources. To, to be able to not just provide, again, to the people who live nearby, but to the entire community. So I, I think these are wonderful things. I think so. Now, some people are, are daunted by <clears throat> the amount of preps that they might have to accumulate to feed their family for months, for example, and to deal with all the various medical issues that can occur. And sure, the road to being self-reliant, it's a, it could be a long and winding road, one. But although it takes some of your time and it's certainly going to take some of your energy and some of your money, too, to accumulate these things, it can be done over time. Absolutely. You know, we're circling, the, we're circling the drain, but I think we're doing it slowly. <laughs> not, yeah, so, it, so you can still buy a 50-pound bag of rice for about 20 bucks or so over at the local Costco mm-hmm. or other big bag, uh, big box store. So... These things can be done. You can put things together, not terribly expensively, and you can learn to improvise. Many of the products you use in times of trouble could be improvised. For example, instead of getting a fancy uh, tourniquet, although you know we certainly recommend getting that medical supply, mm-hmm. uh, you could make a tourniquet out of a bandana and a stick, and you probably have heard uh, on our various shows how to do that yeah and so you know look around what you have at your home i mean some old sheets instead of throwing them out you could cut them up and make bandages out of them there are all sorts of ways that household items could be modified for use in disaster settings absolutely and we have a video that you did with the Sterex at um readiness at yeah carolina, carolina Ready- readiness, readiness yeah. yes and they show us how to take food and put it into a bucket with right. a mylar bag and the oxygen absorbers and to seal it. So and it'll last for years. And create your own long-term food storage for just a fraction of what it would cost to buy it already in a long-term, long-term storage exactly. bucket. And we've, we actually did that at home yep. years ago. I did that with several, several different items. And they're still there, and they're they going to be there for and years the and years and be just fine. sucked down. It definitely created a vacuum inside. Wow. Well, there you go. So we even did it ourselves, too. We didn't just buy all the fancy food. 
So I just want to talk about power a little bit. You know, Benjamin Franklin <clears throat> once said that when the well is dry, we learn the worth of water. And so the same can be said for, I think, elements of modern technology like simple electric power. If you're thrown in a situation where there is none, how many items in your house are going to be pretty useless? And I would say quite a few. So it stands to reason that, among other things, that you should have to consider ways that you could produce power if municipal power went down. I mean, you, that mean, one way is having a generator. Other pe people have maybe solar chargers mm -hmm. and, and solar rechargeable b batteries. These things are certainly option, options, but most people just have a few standard batteries in a drawer somewhere. They'll get you a few hours of flashlight use. But <clears throat> wait, let's not forget, folks. They have expiration dates. And they have expiration How dates. many times have we put batteries in something and said, oh, goodness, this is not working? Well, they expired. Arrgh. So get rechargeable batteries. Yes. I think that's very important. And a solar recharger, I think that's really important. So it's important to have a strategy, in other words, some kind of strategy, that will give you a steady supply of at least minimal power. So rechargeable batteries is a great idea. Uh, propane gas, having some of that. Wind power, if you solar solar panels, all of this stuff <clears throat> might be useful in times of trouble. Well, another thing we have are marine batteries and yes. inverters. Right, get right. a good inverter, guys. I used a cheap one the first time. Wow, it went pop, 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 and then I had little flames coming out of it. Not good. <coughs> no, so Not don't good. go cheap with the inverter. It won't be able to handle the electricity. So what I'm trying to say is that if you begin to prepare for difficult times, you maintain a positive outlook, you know what? You're going to be an example to other people in your family and other people in your community. And if they see that preparing for disasters just makes good old common sense, they might start to be prepared as well. Mm -hmm. And so imagine an entire community or even a nation ready to deal with life's untoward events. In that circumstance... Conforming to the group would actually be sane in that circumstance, and we would all live in a truly normal world. Sounds awesome. Now, we're going to be yes. in a few places. We're, oh, my where goodness are we gonna gracious. Be? In a couple days, we're getting in the car. Oh, man. And I haven't even started loading the car. <laughs> I have started preparing all of these supplies for the show, though. So we're, we have made some headway. I have pre-planned the show supplies. We just haven't put any clothes in a suitcase. We are going to drive to North Carolina. Yes, Western North Carolina, yep. Waynesville. Waynesville, absolutely. For the Carolina Readiness Show, which is called the Heritage Life Skills 5. Mm -hmm. uh, and they use a Roman numeral, by the way. We'll be there. There's a show, a, an event, Friday, all day, and Saturday, Friday evening, you are one of the um, speakers. Oh, am I? Good. Absolutely. And that's Friday night, I guess, right after dinner. And Saturday morning, you're going to teach, we are going to teach a suture class. Nice. I think that's at 9 a.m. And that is April 30th is Saturday. May 1st is Sunday. I'm going to do my premier bleeding class. Good, yeah. And boy, have I been preparing all the supplies for that. These folks who take that class are going to be hands-on, down and dirty. Good. Well, you put together a really good bleeding control kit for active shooter situations. So I think that you have a lot 
of information you can impart to those oh, folks. Oh, my head's going to explode. <laughs> now, next week, what, the week after? <clears throat> yes, then the week after, we're going to drive on up to Virginia. Drive east and nor- northeast to Virginia. Richmond, Virginia. Mm-hmm. We'll be there for the NPSExpo.com. And that is a two-day event. That is a Saturday and Sunday. Well, the suture class there. The suture class is on Sunday morning. That, I believe, is 9.30 or 10 a.m. You can check out our medical classes page on doomandbloom.net for that. And you can sign up for any of these classes on doomandbloom.net on the classes page. So click up on the blue tab on the classes. And you will find the whole list of everything that we're discussing the following weekend. Go all the way. Well, first got to drive home real fast and then... A couple days later, we get an airplane, and then we're going to fly out to Dallas. Dallas, and Texas. that show is selfrelianceexpo.com, and that will be on a Friday and Saturday. Right, and that's Friday the thirteenth. <laughs> and so, if you're in Texas, <clears throat> you want to take one of our suture classes. I think we'll be doing one there too. Yeah, three o'clock Friday, May thirteenth. And of course, we'll be doing free lectures and things like yep, that. Yeah, and Saturday you're doing a lecture, probably around noon. And we'll be there both days. Okay, well, we are out of time. We are so thankful that you listened to us, our show today, and we hope you'll listen every week. And be this. safe. Yes, and be safe. And please follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. Follow our Facebook pages at Doom and Bloom and Survival Medicine. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy. This has been the Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Thanks. We'll see you next week.